Julian Pensavale. Patrick Hines. The world's falling apart. I can't. I know. I can't. You left me hanging on the dunna. The world's falling apart. I can't do it. We're talking about like politics and the state of the world, but we're not going to get into politics. That's no, what we're, we're saying. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. you know, our listeners are so amazing that they're probably like, "Oh my god, girls, are you okay?" Like, <laughs> we can't say that because then we're going to put know. them in a pet. Like, Daisy's fine. Everyone's fine. <laughs> Super hot husbands are both okay. Like, everyone's happy and healthy. Totally. Happy. We're getting through yeah. it day by day. Yeah, 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 day by day. Speaking of, cheers. Cheers, you guys. We're drinking Chardonnay. We just—it's been a day. Um, you guys, we are done with cereal. Thank God. <laughs> All twelve episodes are up, you guys. I just have to say. I forgot how riveting episode 12 is. I was riveted by episode 12. You guys, Sarah talks to Dawn. Deirdre comes back. We get some answers. Sarah tells us what she thinks. It is, it is, you're giving me eyes. I'm, I'm a little, wait, I need my tea. <laughs> I felt a little bit the opposite. And you did? Yeah. Loving Deirdre and those Innocence totally. Project, the Hero Bells and all that. But yeah, I'm just, I, let's, let's. I, I. You guys, surprise. Um, our interview with Rabia Chaudhry is done. It's going up this week. At the very end of this episode, I'm going to play a clip of it. Oh my God. Just to give you a little taste. Rabia spilled the tea, you guys. Rabia? She spilled the tea. She told us all about how she got in touch with Sarah. Mm-hmm. Sarah's actual, real feelings on the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they still talk. And most importantly, how she she smells so good. She, she tells us. She tells us. <laughs> it's the best non-response response, but still a response, but kind of not a response totally. I've ever heard in my life. So stay tuned at the very, very end of the episode after the after the palate cleanser. I'm going to play like two or three minutes of that episode just to give you guys a little taste. Girl, what are we talking about today? Evil genius. <laughs> and there's a lot of evil, not so much genius. <laughs> I'm saying it off the bat. I'm saying it right now. You guys, this episode of True Crime Obsessed covers episodes one and two of Evil Genius. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've seen. I don't know what, I don't know what happens. So my thing is, this fucked me up bad. Yeah. Like, the first episode especially is, like, re- it like really affected me. So when Super Hot Husband Mike and I watched this first one, I knew I had to just muscle through the other uh-huh. three like all four together because I knew we'd cover it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, Same. I can't rewatch this episode again and take meticulous notes this soon. Like, my, <laughs> I need to recover. I need a couple weeks of therapy. Yeah. And then like we can do cocktail. it. Like, yeah. not like just give me an IV. Right. <laughs> we got him out of the car and cuffed him. I start hearing a beep. His eyes just got real wide. A potential hostage sent into the bank with an explosive around their neck. Something like this had never happened before in the history of the FBI. For being a small town, Erie has its share of bizarre events, but there is nothing that raised so many questions as this case. The call was made to the pizza shop at 1.30. Brian Wells drove to the site where the pizzas were to be delivered. The man told police that he was forced to rob the bank. But the FBI believed that whoever built the caller is patient and secretive. Brian Wells said he was supposed to go on a scavenger hunt. And he was supposed to go from point A to point B to point C, where the keys would be given him to release this bomb. This made worldwide news. The purpose of the pizza bomber plot? Money. How could this happen? Who's the mastermind? Please, what's your emergency? There was a woman, but you might want to question. He's the one that did it. Are these co-conspirators? There was a lot of tips coming in, but no smoking gun. We didn't have DNA, fingerprints. The bomb had wires that didn't mean anything to prevent the bomb squad from tampering with it. Do you make the bomb? No. Liar! It's a bank robbery, but it's a scavenger hunt. Guy has a cane gun, and it was actually loaded. Who put this in motion? I did nothing. Who actually said, hey, let's rob it back? She laughed about it. She said, I got away with it. Was Wells a victim or participant? When you have a bomb on to your neck, it became a diabolical game to them. All right, do you want to get us started? Yeah, well, we have a narrator right off the bat. And the narrator is the filmmaker. And we learn that he has been in touch with 
Marjorie Deal Armstrong. <laughs> AKA This bitch. <laughs> I can't. First of all, he says there's three things you need to know about Marjorie. The first, she was never what you would call normal. As a kid, she grew faster, was awkward, lonely. And I'm like, do they ever tell us the other two? Because we don't get the other two until the very end of the first episode. I know. Can you please like describe how they describe her? Like, she's oh my a God. fucking Disney princess? Yeah, he talks about how she was so beautiful and beautiful. Captivating. Captivating. Marjorie grew up to be a beautiful, smart young woman. She earned a master's degree in education. People found her captivating, especially men who would do almost anything for her. He turns into everyone's grandmother. It's oh, true. so beautiful. <laughs> what a shame. Ugh. While they're totally cutting to pictures of this, like, perfect five. You know what I mean? To- like, Yeah, she's a perfectly attractive person. Crazy eyes for days. <laughs> but, like, nothing. And she looks mean. She looks she like a does. lady. Like, honestly, she looks like the lady I'd want to sit next to at the cocktail party. She looks kind of like she'd have shit to say about everybody. Oh, yeah. So we find out that this Dilphy filmmaker with a garage for days, bless this mess. Well, because he's got to fit what? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters from Crazy Pants Deal. I've been talking with Marge for over a decade. This is one of the boxes of letters from Marge. And this is probably about, oh, I don't know, maybe half of the letters through the years. Yeah, it's just, it's just endless. And I'm trying to get her to tell me the truth about a pizza delivery man and a crime that became FBI major case number 203. And then you, we hear her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to prevent your movie from being a flop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to prevent your movie from being a flop. I am not some evil genius who was greedy and wanted some guy to rob a bank for me. I didn't have anything to do with the goddamn crime. Instantly, you're like, she. Yeah. She wants to sing like a canary. She totally like wants. She, yeah. whether it's lies or truth, doesn't matter to her. She sure. just needs to be screaming at the top of her lungs. I didn't have anything to do with the goddamn crime. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> You did, but okay. God. Oh you know God. those levels. As editors, we're like, the levels were peaking. You I, guys, so crazy. It was an editing nightmare. It was in the red the whole yeah, time. Put a limiter on that shit, girl. It helps you out big time. Okay, we're cu- we're cutting back to the day of the one of the first crimes. Right, because it's like what this is about. This episode is called The Heist. Yes. So we're focusing on what we think right now is like the crime, the right. main crime. Yes. We learn later that she's involved in lots, lots of things. <laughs> you guys, the second episode is called The Frozen Body. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're at August 28th, 2003, and there's a 911 call about a bank being robbed. And to be honest, the woman sounds more annoyed than anything else. She does not sound scared. She just sounds kind of annoyed. Well, because the, what she sees is incredibly bizarre. And so there's a guy... Like, this is, like... I don't know why, though. <laughs> it's, it's horrifying. It's so... If you guys have seen the documentary or you remember this story and you have a visual image of this insane-looking person. It's, yeah, so it's a guy. He's, like, a middle-aged guy. Yeah. And he's bald, I guess. I don't know why that matters. Yeah. But he is... It, like it's it's so we, it's like still frames from the security camera. That, right. That's what we're seeing. Like our first glimpse of this person, and he's wearing a a big white t shirt, and underneath it, it looks like a like a gigantic fuse box. It's very much like a like yeah. sharp edges, and it's like there he's wearing a box, right? And a, his shirt says, "Guess what this is?" Right? And he has a cane. He's like a Willy Wonka cane that has a loaded gun in it. So it, the actual cane itself is a gun, and he's swinging it like Charlie Chaplin. So here's the thing: one of the cops describes Mr. Wells in the bank was very calm. Actually, stood on line for a second before he decided to go around one of the customers in the bank to hand the teller a note. He's there to rob the bank, you guys. Right. He gets in line behind a person. Now, here's my question. 
how are you blending? Because you know Thank how you, you would have known if I was in the bank that day? That person would have walked in and it would have been, ah, yeah. ah, Look ah, at that person with that big thing. Look at that person with that big thing. That's what it would be. As I'm diving under a desk. Running away. Patrick Shea pole in the door. women and children in front of me to uh-huh. save myself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's accurate. Um, and then he like walks up. He like first waits online for a couple seconds. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, wait, I should probably just. I should probably just rob this bitch. Okay. Yeah. I am wearing a bomb. The bitch being the bank, not the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so he goes up and asks for $250,000. <laughs> You guys, <laughs> you don't have Google to Google how to, how to rob a bank, and the first thing it's going to tell you is, like, ask for less than that. He gets eight grand. Right. <laughs> you don't have to be a true crime, like, aficionado, <laughs> such as ourselves. I don't know what that was. Right. To know that banks never carry hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. It just doesn't, like, maybe in a Batman movie for the sake right. of it, like, right. for that right. awesome right. bank robbery scene with Heath yeah. Ledger. Oh, my God, that was so good. Um, but only for that. Like, right. in real life, they'd be like, oh. Because in real life, they handed him eight grand. Well, the other thing, though, is that he hands over a note, like a note like to say, like, give me all your money, that is nine pages long. The notes were, were nine pages. They were, they were quite rambling in places. There were a couple of them that were instructions for Brian. There were one that he was to give to the, to the bank manager, one to the police... Right. Like the Jean Bonnet Ramsey note was shorter. That's exactly what I thought. You know what I mean? Like nine pages long, and it's crazy. It's like it's just an insane note. Uh, yeah. And it cuts to one of the cops. He's like, "You're supposed to slide him a note that says, give me all your money.' Yeah. I got like, Did you not spend five minutes googling how to rob a bank? It's called evil genius, you guys. Right. Wait, there should be a little asterisk <laughs> next to genius. But you guys, after he gets his eight grand, he takes a lollipop. Actually reached into the basket to pull out a lollipop. Why would you feel comfortable enough to take a lollipop? And why would you, as the witness described, walk out of the bank like Charlie Chaplin, swinging the bag and the cane gun? That's a loaded cane gun. I I, I was like, a cane gun? I I didn't know. They say it like that's a thing. I I should know. (laughs) I know. I know. You guys, he gets in his car, and he doesn't get very far. Police captured Brian Wells, age 46, a pizza delivery man, just minutes after he left the bank. We got him out of the car and handcuffed him. His name is Brian Wells, by the way. Correct. He's a pizza delivery guy. So they they see him and they arrest him and then they realize, like, first they're like, what is that around his neck? Right. And Brian tells the cops it's a bomb. It was Trooper Zemanski who went up and actually, using a small pair of scissors, cut the size of the shirt because whatever he had was underneath a T-shirt. And when Trooper Zemanski lifted the shirt, he looked at it and he goes, yeah, that looks like a bomb to me. That's when they sat him down to isolate him. Yeah, and you have, guys, there's video of this. The cops are on him trying to handcuff him. Yeah. Because, you know, he has just robbed a bank. Uh-huh. And they handcuff him. And they, they the moment that they learn it's a bomb, you see these police officers run for their damn lives. Yeah. So Brian Wells is sitting, like, up against a police car. Yeah. He's sitting down on the ground. He's handcuffed. I'm looking through the binoculars, and he's talking. He's nervous, but he's not talking agitated. He's not agitated at all. Cool as a cucumber, this guy. And then you hear, ding, 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 ding. I you hear, like, it goes into like The walls time. are closing in on me right now. It's <laughs> I know, horrifying. I know. At that time, I start hearing a beat. His whole demeanor changed. And I think it's at that time that he realized that it is a real bomb. I'm not lying. I don't think he realized until it started beeping. He's like, uh, guys, uh, yeah. this is really happening. Uh, and, yeah. So then you're, you're, it's kind of a mind fuck because you're like, wait a second. Did he not know what is happening? Right. Does he really, is he really not in on this? So what happens is they've called the bomb squad, right? right. But what they did was when they have their, they have to act like it's a live, a real life bomb every time, right. they had to close the street off. As soon as we believed that we had a bomb and the call went to the bomb squad, It's just unfortunate that they were probably over 10 miles away. And another unfortunate thing is that in the process of protecting the public, by closing down Peach Street, we've now created a traffic problem that the bomb squad, they now have to contend with this traffic. 
They like called the bomb squad and then closed the only route to get to this guy. So the bomb squad can't get to him. Can't get to him. And it starts beeping. Yeah. And every like all of us, me, you, the viewer, the 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 state troopers, Brian Wells, we all start to realize that this bomb is gonna go off. Yeah. And it does, and they fucking show it. I know it's on Netflix. I know it's like it's not yeah. TV, it's HBO. Like there are no ratings on Netflix. I really would have appreciated a little Some bit of a warning of, yeah. before that this series started. I mean, to be completely fair, it's not super gory. Like when you find out what happened to him, it was meant the bomb was meant to like spew shrapnel. Right. And it was the one part of the bomb that wasn't made right. right. So it did it only sort of spewed shrapnel into his throat, yeah. basically. It's horrible. But he was still alive. He, The bomb squad guys, when they finally get there, they're like, he was basically alive until we got to him. Yeah. And then, so he like died a slow, horrible, painful death. Yeah. And it's a nightmare. And it's like, okay, the movie is, is well enough made or the series where it's like, okay, this bomb is beeping. Yeah. There's a four part series. Right. It's going to go off. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's just like, oh my God, that image will never, will never ever leave. Yeah. It's horrible. Mind. So we get a couple of pieces of information here. Brian works at a pizza place. Coworkers at Mamma Mia's Pizzeria saw Wells leave to deliver two sausage and pepperoni pies to a remote location, an unoccupied radio tower. Brian is like all of a sudden talking about how like he was jumped by a black a black guy and this black guy strapped a collar on him and it cuts to the black police officer. He's like, that probably wasn't true. Lamont King, <laughs> my favorite, yeah. He never said who it was. He couldn't describe the black individuals that he claimed put the bomb around his neck. You know in your heart that there's probably another black person involved in it, but that's what they're going to say. We're hearing that, like, he's been given a treasure map. And he was supposed to go from point A to point B to point C to point D in order to get further instructions to eventually lead him to a location where the keys would be given him to release this bomb. Brian Wells was supposed to go on a scavenger hunt. They keep calling it a scavenger hunt. It's a treasure. It's a treasure hunt. A scavenger hunt is when you go and collect a bunch of different things. I only know this because of The Office. Um, and a treasure hunt is when you are given clues and you like are led to the different clues. And that's what he had. Wait a minute. What are they calling it? They say a scavenger hunt no less than 17 million times. But it's a treasure hunt. Yeah. <laughs> And I only know that because Gabe on The Office obnoxiously corrects Aaron about it. Uh, yeah, And that's uh, yeah, the yeah. only reason I'm like, you guys, it's not a scavenger. That moment. actor is so hot. The guy who plays Gabe. I am obsessed. Zach Woods? Is that his name? The tall, skinny drink of water? Who they keep making fun of that he looks like a praying mantis or whatever? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. There were a ton of notes for the treasure <laughs> hunt. And they were all super, super long and tons of directions. And like pictures. There was like a picture of the of the McDonald's drive through. Like maps and yeah. all this stuff. And then it's like find the co- I'm not kidding. Find the coffee can near the tree on route whatever. Right, totally. Spoiler alert, there was a coffee can yeah. with another eleven page note in it. So the cops go, they sort of like they they trace the route. Because now they're afraid there's explosives all over Erie. Exactly. So the cops are like trying to track everything down and and Lamont tells us that like when he gets to the next location where Brian Wells was supposed to go, uh-huh. they're sort of they find the clue or whatever, and off in the distance he sees like a blue minivan. But it looked like he was coming to this point also, and we kind of surprised him. And uh, when he saw us, he stopped for a while, hesitated, backed up, and took off. Yeah, it's like in deep in a field, like a yeah. place where it doesn't make any sense for a vehicle to be right. at all. And they couldn't get to them because it was like across a two but direction like, did you highway. Did you want to just take a license plate number, or did you not it have was, a pen? It was far away. It was like far enough away that it was like so close yet so far. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't blame Lamont. He okay. did everything right as far as I'm concerned. And he was so far away, we couldn't drive up through here. He, he basically got away. I figured whoever was responsible for leaving the notes was in that band. So then it was like, of course, this is such a, a stereotype, but it was like really complicated to figure out who had jurisdiction. Was I it literally, like, I wrote stupid boys fighting about who's in charge. Like the state troopers, the local police, or the FBI. Shockingly, the FBI, the <laughs> FBI takes the lead on this. But then we meet Jerry Clark. Who looks like such a meathead. I love this guy I so much, but he totally just looks like a meathead. I know, he's the best. Um, so they get a warrant to search Brian's house. They don't find anything except one thing. He goes, we didn't find a whole lot. <laughs> Except an address book that had the names and telephone numbers of some local prostitutes. 
Can you imagine this poor Brian Wells just got his neck blown off. He's lying in the middle of the road in his underpants. He literally is in his underpants. Yeah. And now the cops are searching his house and all that they find is like a notebook full of prostitutes phone numbers. This guy's having a shitty embarrassing day. Yeah, it's pretty awful. And then they say we never did find any physical evidence that linked him to the bombing at that time. At that time. Okay. Stay with us. <laughs> because at this point, they're trying to determine, like, was he involved or was he, like, an innocent victim? Right. So now we, we learn how he, how he got to the bank, how this all happened. We get some speculation from our boyfriend, Jerry. Right. So he was – basically, he was at work at the pizza place. Mm-hmm. And the phone rings. His boss answers the phone. This people are trying to order pizzas. And he was having trouble understanding, so he handed the phone – to Brian Wells, and Brian Wells actually wrote his own directions to the tower site where he, the pizzas were to be delivered. Basically, Brian is delivering these two pizzas to this like site in the middle of the woods. It's abandoned radio tower, like down a dirt road, like the end of the the scary dirt road, sir. Right. No. No, and delivery people everywhere. Like, no, don't ever do that. I know, and we know that he got there because our friend from the FBI takes us to the site. We found and recovered tire impressions that indicated that Brian Wells' vehicle was at this site. We also had shoe impressions. Mr. Wells' shoe, his sneaker, that indicated that he was at this site. All right? And we had a scuff mark uh, right in the uh, in this area right here that indicated that there was some sort of struggle that had ensued. He was there. He was 100% there. Yeah. But basically what he says is there's not much forensic evidence to work with. Meaning like trying to find out like was, is there DNA from another person on any of his clothes, on yeah. anything, whatever. Yeah. And there, and there isn't. Right. We took every step we could to develop DNA, fingerprints, any forensic evidence that we could use to compare. And we just didn't have much luck with that in this case. So we meet this coroner who's with us throughout. I love this guy. Yeah. This guy is like, what is happening? This this coroner's having a weird week. Yeah. And then he has to talk about it on camera. I know. And, and he really like is awful. having a hard time getting the words out. Mm. But he's saying how like it was very important to the investigation that they preserve the neck cuff. It was the primary piece of evidence at the time. Uh, and of course, uh, the other agencies didn't want that disrupted very much. It said in the note that the caller was booby-trapped, but my concern was safety. That's when the decision was made to do a, uh, essentially a surgical decapitation of, of the body. He says surgical decapitation. That doesn't make it better, you guys. I know. And I cut his head off. I know he's thinking like, well, no, I'm not going to say cut his head off. If I say surgical, <laughs> that it means but what he really wants us to know. And I, I believe him. Yeah. Is that they did it in the most surgical and precise and most respectful way, way possible. possible. They yeah. didn't just chop off this guy. Like they didn't do oh my that. God. Yeah. 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 No. They didn't. And yeah. because at the it's like, well, this happened to this person. Even right. if he was involved, it's still a murder. Yeah. We if we want to bring justice to this. We have to know everything about this bomb. The reason this case was elevated to FBI major case number 203, something like this had never happened before in the history of the FBI, where a potential hostage is sent into the bank with a device ordered to rob the bank, and the device detonates, resulting in their death. This had just never happened. So there's a breaking news in the case, right? There, another pizza delivery man from the same place is dead. I just want to say that like, we get this breaking news from Greta Von Susteren on Fox, who is just a parody of herself. <laughs> and one other, like, my, some other newsman is like, another pizza delivery man, and he's dead. This is a Fox News alert. Breaking news tonight in the so-called pizza bomber mystery. There is a new twist in a bizarre bank robbery story in Erie, Pennsylvania. The captured bank robber had a bomb on him. Now he's dead. And so is a co-worker. And he's dead. Like, he just says it. He just it's, says it like it's that. It's such an offhand way that it's, like, so jarring. It's very bizarre. Yeah. And then you're like, well, wait, Brian's co-worker? Like, not just another, like, another random pizza guy. Right. Brian's co-worker. And friend. They were, like, gambling buddies. Yeah. His name is Robert Panetti. Well, Bob Panetti was an important subject in the investigation because he changed his actions right after it occurred. 
He got nervous. He was going around. We have interviews where he was trying to look for some type of protection because he thought they were coming after him next. And he was also like addicted to pills, we find out. Yeah, and he was he was like actually sitting down with police and then he cuts the interview short and says, can we do this on Monday? Yeah. And that never happened because either he OD'd or it was a suicide on Sunday night. And now you have a, a second pizza delivery man who has also died. So then the question became... Did he, did he play a role in this? Did he help set Brian up to deliver that pizza on, on that day? Very, very strange. Again, this poor corner is like, wait, come again? What's happening? Are and you... you guys, this is not the end of the week for this corner. It just started. It gets so much weirder. Oh, my God. FBI profilers from the Behavioral Analysis Unit say that the plan's mastermind, a person they call Collar Bomber, is frugal. A pack rat who might save scrap metal is mechanically inclined could hide a violent nature. And Jerry Clark basically says, like, girl, someone needs to sing like a canary because we can't get to the... Like, there's nothing here for us. The only way... Like, we don't have any forensic evidence. We don't have any handwriting. The only way we're going to solve this is if somebody comes forward and says, like, hey, there's something you need to know. Isn't it interesting that, like, suddenly we're back to Marjorie Deal? Right. (laughs) Hmm. The second thing you need to know about Marjorie Deal Armstrong, she's smart, but she's also mentally ill. Anytime they say how smart and or beautiful Marjorie was, drink. You'll be hammered in 10 minutes. (laughs) When Marjorie was 23, she took herself to see a therapist because she was scared. Something was wrong with her mind. She told the doctor she was most sad about her inability to have close, gratifying relationships. So she had like bipolar, mania, pressured speech. And the pressured speech, if you don't know what it is, anytime she's speaking in the series, that's what it is. This very aggressive, like... yeah constantly manic for no like she could be talking about what time it is and it would be very intense right yeah the other slightly more interesting thing this is thing three to know Mm -hmm. most of the men in her life don't seem to last very long okay there are other ways to say that i feel a little more sensitive perhaps yeah so her first husband died after like accidentally quotes hitting his head on the coffee table oldest trick in the book by the way Not that I know, I'm just saying. Marge sued the hospital for negligence and won a $175,000 settlement. And then someone else is like, and then there are the other dead boyfriends. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) There are other dead boyfriends in her life? What is happening? One hung himself after she moved out. There are at least five men in her life that died prematurely of either strange circumstances or by outright violence. Can we let that sink in for a minute? (laughs) Everyone have a sip of their Chardonnay and ground themselves. Five men in her life have died prematurely. And she's walking around. Right. Like, what is happening? But then, so we end episode one with another, like, just another 911 call. From Bill Rothstein, (laughs) a.k.a. this bitch. Please, what's your emergency? Uh, at 8645 Peachtree, in the garage, there is a frozen body. It's in the freezer in a garage. There is a woman there that you might want to pick up and question. Yeah, 8845 Peachtree. Yes. How do you know that, sir? Trust me, I know. Who are you? I'm the guy who lives there. What is your name, sir? Bill Rothstein. This guy calls 911 to let them know that there's a body in the freezer. Should probably stop by. <laughs> oh, whose house is it, Bill? Oh, no, I'm the guy who lives there. So, <laughs> Uh, and the cops are like, okay. Do you know who it is? Yeah, no, it's uh, Marjorie Deal's boyfriend. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you guys more of the story later. He says, "I'll tell you. I'll tell you more later. You should probably get here. There's a dead guy in my freezer. I, I put him there. It's my house. It doesn't matter. But you should probably just." Come by. And the big thing that we learn at the end of this episode is that Brian Rothstein's house is is like a stone's throw away from where Brian delivered the pizza. So just to be clear, the guy who just made the 911 call about the body in his freezer, the location that the pizzas were delivered to where there was the scuffle right. is basically on his property. Yeah. It's right there. I mean, the winky dink, you guys? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right, girl, get us started with part two, Frozen Body. Oh, my God. Well, we pick up with the phone call. Right. It's, 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 I feel like he called back five minutes later. I don't want to emergency. 
Yes, this is Bill Rothstein. Did you happen to pick up Marjorie Deal from 
garbage on top of a pile of garbage on top of clothes with a dead cat underneath? Like, that's what you're going to sue for, girl. There's a newly empty freezer in the garage. There is. <laughs> I hope that freezer has been destroyed. <laughs> so then we get your, your boyfriend, the coroner. I entered the, uh, the home, which I'm sure everyone at some point seen hoarders. This was hoarders times 10. It was directed to a uh, small meat freezer, and uh, that's where Mr. Roan's body was. This poor guy. Yeah, he's like, I swear sometimes I get like old people who die in their sleep peacefully. I promise I like, sometimes that happens. I swear, <laughs> you guys. I swear, but this was, just happened to be a really weird week for me. It was me. a very weary week in, a very weary week in eerie <laughs> In Pennsylvania. eerie PA. Yeah. You were thinking to yourself, this is weird. <laughs> you know, is this, this is going to keep going. When's it going to end? And basically, the body has, had been there for weeks. That's we don't have to. Really and it get is into it, right? frozen solid. This I mean, body. that's how. I mean, but the thing that the coroner has to do, like they have to relocate. I know you don't want to talk I know, about. This, I know we have to. We have to. We, we have to. They have to relocate this freezer to the coroner's. He's like, girls, we have to take this to my office. I'm not doing this here. Right. So as they a have thaw. to. They have to like unplug the freezer. They have to let the freezer <laughs> thaw. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> do freezers make that power down sound? This one that does. That freezer's been through a lot, so that we're gonna let it it's make whatever. Probably noises. from 1972, right? And so, like he's saying that the guy is like frozen to the freezer. And you guys, they have this thing that happens that I, I have not let go since I watched this the first time a couple weeks ago. What? Where they're tilting the freezer up on its end and like put it on a dolly. Yeah. And with the body frozen yeah. to the sides and then the body just like falls like. Yeah. Like a ton of bricks. It's like dead frozen body. Yeah. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. It took four days for the thawing process to take place. And so then we could do an exam. We x-rayed him to see what we were dealing with. And then we did find out that, yeah, he, he was shot with, with a shotgun. And then you really realize, oh, wait. Yeah. Bill did not make that phone call the minute Marjorie said, put this body in the no, freezer. No, 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 no. You're yeah. like, you guys, painting picture. Bill Rothstein <laughs> has lived in that shithole with yeah. a dead body for weeks. I know. And he's like, I, I have dead cats all over the place. What's another one? What's another one? Like, he is a fucking nightmare. Yeah, yeah. And then... We get his real video statement. We hear from Bill. Okay, guys, this is kind of epic. So we, we have to we have to go through this. We have to. So he we find out that he's known Marjorie for thirty to thirty five years. This is when we get like the actually hot Dilphy pictures of him from like back in the day. Jillian sat by. Yeah, you say Dilphy, <laughs> I say. Garbage. <laughs> This cuts back and forth between the two of them a lot, but he's blaming her. She's blaming him. He's saying that she called him on the morning that that she killed this guy. This guy is Marjorie's boyfriend. They've been together for like 10 years. His name is Jim Roden. She called me the night or the morning that it happened. She came over to my house, and she said that Jim... Or somehow she indicated that Jim was dead. So this is where he admits that he goes to her house, gets the body, and like brings it to his house and puts it in the freezer. Right. She's asking for help. Why do you decide to help him? Why did I decide it? Because I felt sorry for her. You know, I tried to help her before with other things, not like this. And uh, I thought maybe I could do something. So I just thought about getting rid of the body. But to me, getting rid of the body was taking it out of the house getting rid of it but not destroying it but just like putting it in some safe place and I figure out like maybe I figure out later on what to do with it so then Marge calls the press so she's in jail and this reporter is super excited to talk to her and Marge is what <laughs> set to be fucking tied she's not yeah she's not having it she's not having she's, it Carol I got a lot to say yeah me to fry like a witch <laughs> what are you saying like what are you talking about 
What are you talking about? They also didn't fry the witches, you guys. It's like one of the ways they didn't kill them. Team witch. Um, <laughs> and then she's like, you know, he's all mad at me because, you know, I do run my mouth, but he thinks I'm going to be talking about stuff. I'm like, yeah, no shit, girl. You fucking called the press. Right, totally. So Jerry, our boyfriend from the FBI, wants to talk to Bill. This is a scene and a half. So Jerry Clark is a goddamn pro. It's true. I love how he handled this whole thing. Yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. to us, he's like, girl. Like, <laughs> After a little discussion, it was determined that I could go in and interview Bill Rosti. He was sitting in the room. I'll never forget this. And I walked into the room and I said, Bill, I'm Jerry Clark from the FBI. And he said, well, let me tell you something. I want you to know right off the top that I'm the smartest guy in this room. Jerry, the ham that she is, in the retelling of the story, yeah. looks behind himself and he's like, Bill, it's just me and you, girl. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm okay with that because my wife tells me that every day and I'm fine with that. Totally deferring. This guy's a goddamn pro. I love him. Meanwhile, that joke totally landed with me. It did not land with the film crew. Nobody laughed. <laughs> no, I was like, show some respect. It's Jerry Clark from the FBI. <laughs> I started to ask him about the relationship between Wells and Rote. And he said, no, no relationship. And I said, well, then let's talk about it. And he said, well, you know I can't talk about that. And I said, well, why not? If they're not related, let's just talk about it. And he said, no, I'm not comfortable. But then Jerry or some somebody is pointing out to us like, girls, we have three deaths in three weeks. You have Brian Wells, you have Robert Panetti, and you have James Roden in the freezer. You have the freezer located in the garage of Bill Rothstein's house, immediately adjacent to the tower site. You're asking yourself, are these related? They got to be related, right? Two pizza guys. Mm -hmm. This guy in the freezer. Mm -hmm. The pizza guy went to this little location right behind the house where the freezer guy was. Yeah. The other guy works with the pizza guy. Like, there has to be a connection How are they not related? And then Jerry, of course, is one of the seemingly rare people in law enforcement who's like... You have to make links. You can't just believe it. You have to know it. You have to prove it. I totally have, like, hero bells for him for not just being like, we're going to, let's just pin this on this guy. It's probably what happened. But it's like, girl, can you make an exception this one time? It's so (laughs) obvious that he did it. Like, come on. And then now we're back to Marge. We hear Marge and Bill were engaged, and then they weren't engaged. So they they just didn't know each other for 35 years. They were romantically involved. So Marge is ranting that he can't have me, so he's got to destroy me. He's been in love with me the whole time. And I'm like, you can tell... That all these reporters like just have the phone on speaker and everyone is crowded around and they're like, can we just record it? Can't take notes on this shit. Like she goes from one. And by the way, I didn't kill Brian Wells. And and Bill loves me. Just can't have me. And he wants to destroy me and find me like a witch. And you're like, what? Is happening. <laughs> Apparently, Bill is a pervert. He worships my legs. Oh, he loves my legs. He wants you to, like, lick your legs, put his penis in your legs. He worships my legs. He's a, he's a pervert. Oh, he's a pervert. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> guys, like, I just. This and, is and the like, new Warren Jeffs. I'm obsessed with and it. And having a leg thing I know. does not a pervert make. I know. <laughs> So now that because James Roden was killed at Marge's house in Erie, the case is turned over to local police. That's yeah. their jurisdiction. Those boys won that fight. I'm sure there are women there. I'm just saying. Right. <laughs> and guess what? Marge is also a massive hoarder. <laughs> Through the windows, you can see what Deal Armstrong had been collecting. Today, dressed in white protective gear, investigators went inside searching for more evidence in their murder case against the 54-year-old. Finding what they need is difficult because debris is everywhere. This is where they actually find the dead cats. They describe feces, stacks of government cheese. You have to tell me what is more disgusting. (sighs) The feces, the dead cats, or the stacks of government cheese. I'm going to go dead cats and feces tied for first. (laughs) (laughs) The guy's like, there was clutter, feces, and more clutter. Right. I know. You guys, that's not clutter. Clutter is what's on the floor of my bedroom right now. Mm. You guys, these, these are like mattress, literally old mattresses stacked up to the to the kitchen sink. There's a baby pool upside down on top of a mountain of clothes that's on top of a mountain of garbage. That's not clutter. This is a this is like an evil Dr. Seuss book. It's you guys, they go cats. into the house with hazmat suits. Uh-huh. Hazmat suits. Yeah. You know that it's like <gasps> you know like that noise when is that what it like when you're trying to breathe? Yes. Like, Wouldn't you be so horrified though? So here's what's crazy. 
Bill Rothstein, who hid the dead body, I just ke- I have to keep reminding you guys that because he is out on bail because he's quote helping with the investigation. He has admitted to like going to Marjorie's house and getting this dead body and hiding it in his freezer for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now we get a video of Bill giving a disgusting tour of Marjorie's <laughs> disgusting home with the FBI, describing yeah. the murder of Jim Roden. And let me tell you, not an ounce of empathy, no, or compassion, or yeah. even emotion totally. at all. Like. He is cocky about it. Yeah. Absolutely thinks he's the smartest person in the room. Yep. And is proud of the shithole. The bed was roughly, excuse me, the yeah. bed was roughly from here, and it was back against there, to like about here, his body was lying roughly 45 degree angle on the bed. On the bed. He was still on the bed, not on the floor. That is correct. Facing the wall. He pulled it down this way. I put a cut piece of green tarp down here to put his body on. Okay. Then I took the tarp and folded it up around it and tried to use some uh, duct tape and packaging tape to wrap it up. Okay? And also, he's so enormous that he has to constantly ask people to get out of his way so he can move across the room. Everyone is in his way because he's gigantic. (laughs) And he goes, well, yeah, you know, I just grabbed him by the shoulders, dragged him down the stairs. (laughs) It's chilling. You're talking about a human being. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then he goes, I replaced the steps partially because they were covered in blood, but partially because they were just old and cracked. So you, is that good here? You guys need to see anything else here? Or? Anything else here? Did you hear you got questions? Me? No, I think uh, just great up. Thank you very much. And their jaws on the ground. They're like, no. Um, everything in this case has never happened to them before. So now we're touring disgusting Peach Street, that which is Bill's, Bill's house. house where, the, where the body was in the freezer. This is where I cut up the rifle. Bill Rothstein, this is your life. Like, I brought in black plastic from out of that room into here, which was supposed to be supposedly to cover the window. So nobody would see us cutting the body up. And then it's like you can see and like hear the ellipsis. Yeah. Because one of the FBI agents is like, talk to us about the bag of blood. (laughs) And Bill does this thing that like just people that are this type, it's hard to explain. And I know that you guys are just going to get it where he's like cocky and making weird jokes about something that's like not okay. It appeared that it was a bag of blood. That's me. Okay. Okay. And a razor blade in the bottom of it. Okay. That was I. It was I. Okay. And what is that? Stupid attempt at suicide. Twas I. Right. Twas my bag of blood. And you're like, there's a bag of blood now? I know. I know. I know. And he holds up his wrists. And he's like, stupid attempt at suicide. Yeah. Did y'all get my note? You guys got my note? Somebody, nobody got the note? Yeah. Got was... Okay. Three pieces of paper. Okay. I did find the notes when you okay. talked to him in the desk. Okay. He was like, did y'all get my notes? Like, when did you try to kill yourself and I leave know. a note for the cop? Like, they don't touch on that. The timing is very strange. Right. But the note was found on top of a pile of clothes and garbage. <laughs> How are they supposed to find the note? Right. Like, there's just shit everywhere. Literally. Here's what the note said. Oh, God. It I didn't said, even read the note. Number one. This has nothing to do with the Wells case. Okay. <laughs> Number the lady doth protest too much. Seriously. I'm so glad you said it because I feel like I, I say that way too much. So I'm glad you did it this time. Number two, the body in the freezer in the garage is Jim Roden. Thanks, girl. <laughs> A little late on that one. Can no. you imagine fi- not knowing that he's there and no. reading this suicide note? I I, know. I I would just be... The what? The where? The what? The where? Yeah. Running Jillian-shaped <laughs> home door. Number three... I did not kill him nor participate in his death. Number four, my apologies to those who cared for or about me. I'm sorry I let them down. Number five, I'm sorry to leave you this mess. <laughs> mess is in like a mess of a case. Yes. Mess is in a hoardy house. Yes, like what? Totally the, like, the dead body in the freezer. Tons of messes. It, that's going to need to be thought. I can't believe he didn't put that in the note. I mean, yeah. number one, it has nothing to do with the Brian Wells case. I know. And the FBI's like, why did you say that? Why was that number one? And he's like, I wanted you guys to know so you don't have to waste your time trying to figure out is this part of the Wells situation or not? Because you guys would have been for another couple of years looking on that shit with us. Well, I didn't want you guys to waste your time. I was just trying to help you guys. I wanted your job to be easier. Ding a ling a ling a ling a ling. Bill Rothstein was also smart enough to have kept a pretty big secret from the FBI. Apparently, Rothstein had a roommate, an old friend named Floyd Stockton. And this Stockton guy had suddenly moved out of Bill's house the day after the bank heist. 
Are you guys ready for a garbage minute? Because I'm not spending any Yes, more give us the garbage minute. Okay, this garbage minute is about Floyd Stockton, who, surprise, was Bill's roommate. Floyd Stockton, Bill's roommate, he left the day after the bank heist. The cops did not know about him until Marge told the police that he was wanted on a rape charge. What's the rape charge? He raped a disabled teenage girl. I fucking hate this person. The FBI questioned him, and apparently he knows nothing about the case. The FBI clears both Bill and Floyd. And can you please arrest Floyd for rape? If you have him, if you can let him go. <laughs> Garbage minute done. I'm never talking about Floyd Stockton again for the rest of my life. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Five months after James Roden was killed, Marjorie Deal Armstrong was in court facing murder charges. She never spoke. Bill Rothstein testified that Marge shot her boyfriend because of an argument about money. The judge ordered Marjorie to stand trial. And Bill, for his part in moving the body, he cuts this like sweet deal where he's only going to serve a few years and he gets to stay out on bail until he's sentenced. And it's just a misdemeanor charge. Right. So now we see Marjorie, crazy Marjorie, in the hallways after her trial, and now she's like, now she's singing like a fucking canary. Yeah, um, still. Yeah, and she's saying, like, in addition to everything else, Bill should be charged for the murder of Brian Wells, the guy, the pizza delivery guy. Right. Rothstein will be sued because he's a filthy liar. What do you have to say about Rothstein? Rothstein should be charged with the murder of Brian Wells. And-, and all of a sudden, like, although she said this 80 times, the, the, the filmmaker's like, did you hear her? Did you hear what she just said? Yeah. Marjorie had just publicly stated that Bill Rothstein should be charged with the murder of Brian Wells. And no one asked her what she meant by that. And apparently no one was asking Bill either. So then the filmmaker's like, I've had it? I wanted answers. So I got up off of my couch in Brooklyn, New York, and drove to Erie. I was in between jobs, so I had plenty of time. I'd become obsessed with finding out who killed Brian Wells. And if Brian was in on the heist or not. He like dri- literally drives to his house, mm-hmm. knocks on the door. So here's what happens. He, the filmmaker wants to get that, you know, that like establishing the shot, shot yeah, of the, yeah. the house. And Bill Rothstein drives in in one of the blue vans. And he's literally, you hear him go like, oh shit, he's home now. Yeah. Rothstein wasn't getting out. He was just sitting there. For a really long time. I put my camera down, didn't want this to seem like an ambush interview, and walked up to Rothstein's van. He still wasn't getting out. I introduced myself, told him I was making a documentary, and wanted to tell his side of the story. He turned to face me with a blank stare and said no. And apparently they just look at each other for a couple minutes and it's over. (laughs) They just like have a staring contest. Well, that was fun. Bye. Do you have any more like dead bodies in your freezer? Like what's happening? So weird. Bill never spoke to me or anyone in the media. And by all accounts, he never spoke to Marjorie again either. All of a sudden, it's past, everyone's talking about him in the past tense. Right. And it turns out that Bill was dying of cancer. Right. So Bill dies, and that's not even the end of the episode. So then we meet Gloria Bishop, who... Oh. <laughs> I love Gloria Bishop. She, I knew you would. Yeah. Somehow, this Gloria Bishop ended up in jail with Marge. We don't know what Gloria Bishop did. Mm-hmm. She looks like a million bucks right now. She's sitting on her couch, like, sitting she's pretty. She's out. I mean, she... She's out. Gloria's eyes get wider and wider yeah. the more stories she tells. She's like, Marge used to shave her eyebrows off with a with a food tray like hours at a time she's like standing in front of the mirror shaving her eyebrows off with a tray and like as i'm thinking this very thing gloria says it she's like it takes five seconds to shave your eyebrows <laughs> but the point is that marge would act insane for the guards right and act like i'm so loopy and weird and then be totally lucid and just mean and cold and heartless to the other inmates yeah and gloria's like that's who she really is Marjorie Deal Armstrong, in an abrupt turnaround, finally confessed to killing James Roden. She told her cellmates the reason she shot her boyfriend was because they'd had a fight about another woman. No remorse whatsoever. None. Never one time did she shed a tear for James Roden. Marge changes her story. She suddenly admits to the murder. Mm-hmm. But guilty, but mentally ill. Right. She has this like mental illness thing in her back pocket where she doesn't get jail time. She gets sent to like a mental institution. Which, and then it just ends with like the filmmakers basically, like the filmmaker in his house or whatever in Brooklyn, he decides that he's got to like get Marge's side of the story. Right. And he, re- he sends a letter to her. Inmate number OJ6261. And just one week later, she wrote back told me she was very familiar with the Wells case. 
And then she promised to reveal secrets the public didn't know if I did something for her in return. Dear Mr. Borzellieri, I'm very familiar with the Brian Wells bank robbery case. I have five college degrees with honors and am lucid. I will help you, but I want legal help or cash consideration in return. Please write and say what you can do. Thank you, Marjorie Deal Armstrong. They make a deal because it ends with like Marge being like walked into this room for what I guess turns out to be a Skype call. Yeah, so like we're like the filmmakers in Brooklyn and yeah. like we're on his side of the camera and right. like it's just the Skype call. And she's immediately, I didn't know when I was being dragged here and I'm so happy that it's you. <laughs> but, and I'm like, so happy to see you. They, I had no idea why they called me down here. And, and I, I really want to talk to you. Yes. This guy must be exhausted already because she's just off and running. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't she doesn't get let anyone get a word in edgewise, ever. Yeah, it's insane. And that's how it ends. And we're like, oh, shit. Next episode is going to be like Margie screaming at us for 45 minutes. <laughs> is, that, is that what's going to happen? I can't wait. Girl, we did it. We got through two episodes of Evil Genius. Well, I appreciated that it was, the first episode was only like 35 minutes. Yeah, that's and true. And then this one was just about an hour, so it's like a perfect documentary life. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, You guys, all 12 episodes of our serial coverage on Patreon is up. The entire series. Oh. Plus our our interview with Rebecca Lavoie, which I like, kicked off the series. Mm-hmm. And r- our interview with Rabia Chaudhry is up this week. Again, you guys, Rabia spills all the tea. Especially about how good she smells. Especially about how good she smells and a lot of shit about Sarah Koenig. <gasps> and uh, at the very, very end of this episode, after the palate cleanser, we're going to p- play a few minutes of that interview. Yes. A little teaser. little teaser. So again, you guys, next week will be the second two episodes of Evil Genius. Mm-hmm. Get ready for that. And then now that Serial's over, we're doing the Staircase for Patreon. Staircase, girls. I mean, yeah. I'm excited <laughs> to dive into the Staircase because I've Me never too. seen it and everyone's like obsessed with it and I need to know about this goddamn owl thing. I'm just obsessed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we'll get it. The, the documentary doesn't really get into it, but we I'll will Google. get into it. Yeah, totally. I'll totally Google. I don't, need, I don't care about spoilers. I've got go. shit to say about the daughters. I've got shit to say about the friend in the other country. There's like a super homophobic lawyer who I can't super wait to Super homophobic lawyer who just got arrested for a D- DWI. Really? Somebody posted it yes. in the Facebook group. I'm obsessed. Uh, that was like a hero bet, like a yes. Totally, bell. totally, totally. Uh, you I guys, it's happens. gonna be amazing. Yay. You guys, this week our palette cleanser, Jillian just picked it. I know, it's Stephanie Rubin Vega and Joan Jett singing totally. science fiction double feature because this is crazy and we just did a double feature for yeah. you for it's Rocky from Horror. The, rock, the revival from a couple years ago. Like a zillion years ago that I saw 800,000 <laughs> times. Dick Cavett was in it. It was like I know. Leah Delaria, are you kidding me? Oh yeah, me? oh my God, please. Alice Ripley? I can't, I, it's I mean, too just, much. It goes on and on and on. Um, girl, where can they find us? At True Crime Obsessed on Twitter and truecrimeobsessed.com you can get our schedule our calendar all the episodes there Ooh. and patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed you guys get in on the Patreon it's a party we're having the best time oh, it's awesome uh, where can they find you at Jillian with a G on all the things uh, you guys at Patrick Hines on the Twitter at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram um, we love you we... stay tuned for our amazing hilarious outtakes TM 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 outtakes palate cleanser and then Rabia Chaudhry oh my god Okay, bye. bye. Also, take a, a page out of Lynn Manuel Miranda's book. If you're going to tell us three fundamental truths about someone, you got to do it in succession and preferably have Renee Elise Goldsberry say exactly. it to us. <laughs> Most of the men in her life don't seem to last very long. Oh. Right. <laughs> Something really, really weird happens, which I did not understand. She tells the story about on the night that he had her arrested, he takes her away and gives her these two porcelain swans. Yeah, like, he had the nerve to give me swans when he was going to fry me like a witch. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> she got into his psyche. He yeah. did anything for her. Like, move a dead body? Yeah. Yeah. Abs- actually, That's yeah. pretty much the limits of, like, when people say anything for somebody, that's basically what they mean. Right. Let's get down to brass tacks. Would you move a dead body for me? <laughs> yeah. Between me and you, yes. No one's listening, right? I totally have your back. Totally. I'd hide your stash. No problem. Thanks, girl. You're welcome. He had nothing to do with the case, though, number one. <laughs> Don't ask him about it. He's just trying to help. He's just trying to help. I don't give a shit about jurisdiction. Yeah, totally. Someone needs to arrest this person. Mm. Or just make him disappear. Call the mob. I don't care. I don't care. I really don't. I know a guy. We know people in the 7-5. Come on. We can. Can and Dory listen to this podcast? We can make anything happen. Dory, DM us. <laughs> Michael Renny was ill the day the earth stood still. But he told us where we stand. 
And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear. Cord Reigns was the invisible man. Then something went wrong for Ferrer and King Kong. They got caught in the satellite jam. Then at a dreadful pace, it came from outer space. And this is how the message about how the case was being portrayed as you were listening week to week? I tried to be considerate of the fact that, okay, it's a series. It's going to unfold one way or the other. I know she's very personable with Adnan. I know they have like almost a friendship because it had been like a year since she, more than a year since she'd been involved with the case, with the family. She came hang out at my house many times. And, but you know, every episode would be, people were left, wondering like it was never very clear you couldn't tell where she fell on the spectrum of she thought he was guilty or innocent and also she presented things like when she presented the episode about him stealing from the mosque collection plate when he was like 13 I just wanted to punch something because I'm like why how is that relevant like and I said to her I sent her a message I said you know Jay Wilds has domestic violence um a criminal record of domestic violence and you're not reporting that but you're reporting that Adnan took 20 bucks like when he was 14. Like, how is that relevant to this crime, right? Um, I was very frustrated, and I told her that as it was happening. That's why I was blogging as it was happening, because I was like, I got more to say. And um, so, but you know, I mean, I still acknowledge the fact that um, it was that ambivalence, like the, I, the, the feeling of, oh, did he do it or did he not do it? Is he a crazy psychopath or a really good person <laughs> that kept people hooked? And at the end of the day, having that much attention and having that many people obsessed with the case helped us. It's so funny that you say that because we just recorded 
our episode about that episode yesterday and we thought the same exact thing about like what is the point of this and the listeners sometimes have have come for me a little about how hard I am on Sarah and I just like I love that Adnan was like why are you bringing this up like what is the point of doing that and she has done things like that before where it's like oh my god Sarah you have to remember your role here like what is your role like you can't like you can't say the words "Mm, I don't know to his mother like you just can't yeah I mean you know it's interesting whenever I do like express any kind of dissatisfaction with the production of cereal um, people get very angry about it and I understand that but you know people have to understand like my experience the experience of people who are close to Adnan his family and loved ones is very different we I really did not understand that Sarah was going to Sarah was going to do this as a storytelling device. I thought it was going to I thought she was going to be because it's not uncommon for an investigative journalist to take a side. I mean, when I, you watch West of Memphis, that documentary, Amy Berg, the director, she makes it clear that she, she's an advocate for these guys that she thinks is innocent. And that's really what I expected. And to be honest, I kind of sold it like that to Adnan and his family. I said, listen, because Sarah said it, Sarah said to me, if we didn't think he, if I didn't think he was innocent, I would not do the story. And so I said to Adnan and his family, because I had to convince them, I had to convince his lawyer to get on board with this. I said, she's not going to do this unless she thinks you're in it. She has said this. And so she does think you're innocent. She's building the story up. And I'm positive, like on the last episode, she's gonna be like, boom, you know, Uh this is where I stand. And it didn't happen. (laughs) And so I was like, uh, yeah. To hear the rest of this 40-minute interview with Rabia Chaudhry, as well as our 12-episode coverage of Serial, and all of the rest of the bonus episodes we've made, go to patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed, or find the Patreon link at our website, truecrimeobsessed.com. 